0: Darker Days of Dorothy Gale, Aftermath, for Episode 31, Chapter 26, The Heretic, and
1: Canto 10 of Dante's Inferno. Well, 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 here we are again. Another week, another canto,
0: another collection of sinners. You know, this story is really depressing, and it's only going to get more so the further along we go. So, to lighten the mood just a tad, I would like to tell you a quick
1: joke. Knock, knock.
0: Did you, did you say who's there? I'm going to assume you did, but uh, you know what? Let's let's try again. I'll I'll go ahead and cover both portions this time. Knock knock. Who's there? Not a heretic, because they're all burning in the fiery pits of. Ha- ah, wait a minute. That wasn't very funny, was it? In Canto Ten, Dante and Virgil arrive in and travel through. Circle 6 This circle is designated to the heretics. Dante singles out Epicureans here. These were followers of Epicurus, a Greek philosopher from around 307 BC. His teachings were a form of atheism, and he believed the soul dies with the body, or maybe that there is no soul to speak of. Either way, his philosophy was basically live your best physical life and avoid pain at all costs. From my research, what I got from him was, there is no soul, you can't take anything with you, so you do you, as long as it's pleasurable. In this circle of heretics, the travelers walk through a vast cemetery, Large, open tombs stretch across the landscape, with fires burning in them all. From one of these tombs, a shade appears. This would be Farinata. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but as usual, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, so, you know, you're just gonna have to put up with it, I guess. Anyway... Farinata is one of Dante's political enemies, and his history is actually pretty wild. I'm not going to go super deep into it because, well, this isn't a history podcast, and I'm not sure who the audience is for ancient history of French wars and politics, but I'm pretty sure it's not the few people listening to this show right now. Suffice it to say, the story goes that years after his and his wife's death, they were both exhumed, tried for a heresy, and, wait for it, posthumously executed. Yes, that's right. Dying once wasn't enough of a punishment for Farinata and his wife. They were dug up and executed. Here, Farinata foresees Dante's eventual real-life exile. Dante and Farinata, by all accounts, should have been mortal enemies. They existed on opposite sides of a deeply political spectrum, disagreed in their ideology and theology. Farinata was a Epicurean. Dante still respected him, though. Something that seems to be lost all too often today. We meet another shade here, Cavalcante. Again, don't hold it against me. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But let's keep moving anyways. Cavalcante is also an Epicurean. He asks Dante about his son Guido and wonders why he is not in Dante's company. Guido was another poet, and a friend of Dante. Dante tells him, Your Guido felt disdain. This could mean a few things, though many believe he is referring to Guido's dislike of Virgil and his virtues. Speaking in the past tense causes Cavalcante to fear his son is dead, and disappears back into the fiery grave before Dante can clarify and tell him that Guido is in fact still alive. From the H.F. Carey translation, We view as one who hath an evil sight, he answered. Plainly, objects far remote. So much of his large splendor yet imparts the Almighty Ruler. But when they approach, or actually exist, our intellect then wholly fails. Nor of your human state,
1: except what others bring us, know we ought. Hence, therefore, Mayest thou understand that all our knowledge in that instant shall expire when on futurity the portals close.
0: I'm no scholar, obviously. But what I take from this, based on notes from other translations and commentators, my own research, and my own personal ideals, is this. These souls can only see the past and future, while the present is a blur to them. Therefore, Cavalcante questions Dante of his son and does not know if he is alive or dead. The space between the past and the future is constantly moving for them. As the future becomes the present, as the present draws near, that is, it begins to blur and become unknown, until it becomes the past. Dante doesn't specify the window of time for this present, however. Is the present defined as one year, two years, three? Or is it only days or weeks? Personally, I assume it's a couple of years at least. Farinata tells Dante he will be exiled at some point. But how far into the future he's looking? I don't know. I'm sure there's a source out there that can tell you that, or at least give you an estimate. In fact, I... I think the Dante's History podcast probably sheds a little bit of light on that question. That guy knows his stuff. Cavalcanti's son must be dead in the future that he sees, if he's asking Dante. But he must be alive in the past that he sees. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm talking in circles at this point. Anyway... It's interesting that these souls are granted this unique vision of the world above. While Dante ascribes careful and meticulously crafted symbolism in almost every aspect of his story, I do not. Or at least, not the same symbolism. The idea that the vision of the future becomes an undetailed blur as it draws near is similar to what we saw in the last chapter with Dorothy and the figure on the riverbank. The similarities end there. It's not necessarily the same theology or same symbolism. The figure Dorothy meets is not representative of time and space, but instead a physical force she will deal with later. In chapter 26 of Darker Days of Dorothy Gale, The Heretic, I give you just a taste of Dante's work. What you heard this week on the podcast was actually longer than what was originally written. If you're one of the ten or so people that have a physical copy of the book, you'll notice this episode is about twice as long. And even then the revised and lengthened version is still pretty short. The original writing was pretty much just the stranger meeting the lion in the woods, taking him back to his camp, and giving him a bowl of soup while explaining they would be moving on in search of the lost queen. Instead of presenting the lion with a dead collida, which, of course, is a reference to the lion's past. He was presented with a large bowl of soup. A bowl of soup? Really? A bowl of soup? That's it? Who the fuck gives a malnourished lion a meager bowl of soup? What was I thinking? And what about all that crazy history ...about Epicurean beliefs. I totally skimped on this chapter the first time through. While the additions to it don't touch on the visions of the future or the past... ...and the flaming tombs and the graves are kind of glossed over... ...I feel like I got to the core of what makes a heretic a heretic. It's the idea that a person doesn't fall into a rigid belief system that makes them heretical. Not only does it make them a heretic, but death is not punishment enough for such egregious beliefs. Or non-beliefs, I guess. Anyway, this is the beginning of a brand new story arc. And the lion, once again, has a purpose in life. If I missed something, or failed to address something you feel I should have, or goofed on my summary of Dante's Inferno, which, let's face it, is always a possibility, let me know. I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like this show. I don't know why you're listening if you don't, but, you know, like it or not, you can be nice. I know you can. I... Believe in you. A quick rundown of the ways you can get in touch with me is Dark Days of Dorothy Gale at Outlook.com, at Dark Dorothy G on Twitter and TikTok. Alternately there's at the Ordinary Sun, that's S U N on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And of course if social media isn't your jam, there's always the official Dark Days website, ddofdg.com. You can find links to t-shirts and stickers and stuff there as well. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale used to be on Amazon as an ebook and in paperback form. But at the time of this recording, the podcast is the only way to experience it. If you would like to support the show... Buying a t-shirt or a sticker or something really is the coolest way to go. And if you want to support my specific brand of creativity in a more direct, financial way, you can always find me at buymeacoffee.com slash ordinary Again, that's S-U-N. If you do, I'll give you a shout out on this wildly unsuccessful and obscure podcast. And I'll even send you a handwritten thank you note, complete with a fun little sketch. If you don't want to donate to this cause, that's fine too. I'm happy to do this either way. Come back next time for Chapter 27,
1: Anastasius. Thanks for listening. I love you all.